When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 10th time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Eden Road podcast, where on tonight's show we're going to be previewing the game against Man City on Monday night. At the time of recording, our Spurs full-time will already be out, so please do go and check that out and give that a listen before watching this preview. But for this preview, I'm pleased to say that joining me is David Mooney from the Blue Moon Podcast. David, thanks so much for taking the time, mate. Hope all's well No problem at all. No problem. Thank you. Lovely. Just before we get going, guys, remember to keep dropping the comments down below, subscribe to the YouTube and Spotify channels, and also give us a follow on our socials. That's at the Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. David, first things first. We're recording this episode on Tuesday night before City's game against Burnley and Brentford's match against Spurs. Obviously, City are flying at the moment after a bit of a wobble last year. I mean, I don't know if I could classify it as a wobble. It was a few results that didn't go your way. But fresh off a dominant performance at Spurs in the Cup, which I really didn't see coming because I was actually just chatting to a Spurs podcast uh, yesterday. And yeah, they, they love us. Like... We, we never do anything there. Yeah, they love us. Yeah, I know. I really didn't see that coming. And obviously, that huge win against Newcastle in the league. Was there any... Was there ever any doubt after, for example, the Villa loss and maybe the draw at home to Palace that City wouldn't get back to their best? I'm still not entirely there, to be honest. Um, I still think there is an element of uh, needing to see kind of that City have turned a corner. Um, the the Palace game, I'm a little bit torn about because I don't actually think City did that much wrong in the game. I think there was there were two moments where uh, Palace got down the other end of the pitch and scored. And I know like like the, I, I know immediately the football fan in you goes, well, that is a problem. That's a major issue. Um, but in terms of controlling the game and what City liked to do, I don't think City did too much wrong. I think they I think they just I think Palace had two moments. Um, the other games uh, in kind of that wobble that you talk about, uh, the Liverpool game, they should have finished it off. Uh, the Spurs game at the Etihad, they should have finished it off and they didn't. Um, I think those uh, th- I think those were far more, um, in inverted commas, criminal results than uh, than the Palace one. Um, and yeah, they, they kind of needed the Club World Cup to go away and just kind of be out of the country for a bit and just get their head screwed on. And when they, since they've come back, I think they've won every game. And that is... That's kind of like the, the the first part of turning the corner. Um, the performances have been uh, a lot better, and I think there's it's the problem with analysing City in this case is that that City have a lot of players who are very good at just winning a game, and it can be they, it means City can play quite badly for kind of eighty minutes or so, but then suddenly. Early Haaland sticks one in the net. Julian Alvarez bends one in from the edge of the box. And, and you kind of go, well, that's City. That's what they do. And it, it kind of makes the overall picture look a lot better sometimes than it than it has been, maybe. Um, and that isn't to say that City are, are, are not doing well this season. They, they clearly are. They're clearly within touching distance of the top of the table. And if they win the game in hand, I think are two points behind uh, Liverpool, which absolutely at this stage of the season you would take. Um, but one of the issues has been that um, 
City have had they've had the wrong kind of player injured and suspended this season. And what I mean by that is is what City like to do is they spend the opening kind of 15, 20 minutes of games not especially trying to score. I mean, if opportunities to score, they'll they'll go on and try and take them. But at the same time, they're not they're not Liverpool. They're not trying to play uh, high pressure, high intensity football from the off and kind of beat the opposition into submission. The way City try and do it is keep the ball and and, and make sure that you can't get out. So if Brentford, for instance, on on Monday night. The plan, I'm almost certain, will be, you know, the crowd will be up for it and, and Brentford will be up for it. So City, keep the ball, keep it in the Brentford half. Don't try and force anything too kind of too big immediately, uh, but just make sure that Brentford get absolutely nothing. Because if you get nothing for the first 20 minutes, then the players go into this psychological state of, we can't get out here, we're really, really struggling. The fans are suddenly quiet because... Like there's not a lot of action on the pitch. And suddenly City are in control of the game and in complete control of the game. And that's when you can start to open it up a little bit and start to try to be a little bit more creative with your passing. And City do this a lot, except earlier in the season when they went through that blip, you know, without having Gundogan there and Mares there because they left in the summer. And certainly when Rodri was suspended, the types of players that were coming in were the types of players that get the ball and run with it and kind of really drive forward with it. And suddenly they were playing these sorts of basketball games where it was you attack, we attack. And that's not really where City's game is and it's not really where they excel. And so they dropped a few points here and there. They they lost at Wolves um, and... You know, Wolves fully deserved the 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 points. They didn't. Uh, City didn't play well enough to get anything out of that game. They they lost to Arsenal. I thought they were a bit unlucky because it was a it was a stodgy game, and I think a stodgy game by design. I don't think City were trying to make it an entertaining watch at all. Um, and you know, Arsenal get a deflected last minute winner, and like it's the sort of thing that happens if you if you if you kind of create a game like that. And then they go on that run of draws, and you kind of you kind of wondering, is this it? Is this what City are going to be this season? Are they just going to not have any control of games? And then they came back from the Club World Cup, and they did really, really well at Everton, um, and kind of they lost control of the first half for about ten minutes. Everton scored, and you were thinking, it's the same old story again. Second half, they were much, much better and, and won the game. Um, Sheffield United didn't have any moments on uh, over the New Year game, and then you look at, I mean. Go, go take the Spurs game the other night. Um, Spurs have been really, really good this season at creating those transitions, and they just didn't get any of them against City. So I'm, I'm really optimistic about where City are going this season. Um, I just want to see a little bit more evidence that they are ready for it at the moment. I, I, I just kind of, I, I, I'm a little bit nervous that um, you know one or two injuries here and there again to the to the wrong sorts of players, and suddenly they'll lose control of everything again. And there's also a run coming up where um, City again play Liverpool, Chelsea, United, Spurs, all in a all in a, a chunk over kind of uh, I think it's March April time. Um, so that's that's on the horizon. I think we'd, I'd like to get some points in the bag before that run turns up. Yeah, I think you mentioned the the game plan from City's perspective would be to keep the ball in the first 20 minutes, get the crowd offside, get it quiet, and then look to pick apart Brentford. I, I feel like that's what happened in the first game that we played you at the GTEC, maybe in the first season. I think mm. Foden might have scored quite late into the first half, and then it ended up being a routine win for City. Yeah. It was, a, hor- it was about- a horrible game, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was and, I, and I think City made it. Uh, so I think City were happy to have a horrible game because it didn't give Brentford any chance of getting back into it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you mentioned Gundogan not being there. I I do want to talk about the game specifically, but just before, in terms of the players that you lost over the summer, obviously Gundogan's probably the most influential. Mahrez has gone to Saudi and Palmer's at Chelsea. 
how did you feel about those outgoings? And as a follow-up, do you think City might have regressed this year? I think it's an interesting one because I haven't decided whether City have regressed or not yet. Um, I think I think the players that have come in, in I think Kovacic was a smart sign in that they were they were going to do that anyway, whether whether or not Gundogan uh, stayed. They were trying to get Gundogan to stay, um, and I, I actually gutted that he left because I think he's the sort of player that City have really missed this season. Um, Nunez, he. I, I, I'm not so I'm not sold on him yet. I think he's he's a player that uh, has the potential to do well in this city team, and he's younger than Kovacic as well. So he's got he's got kind of time to to learn what um, what Guardiola wants of him. I think he his ceiling is is a lot higher than what he's showing at the moment. And you know, there's a whole history of Guardiola signings taking a year and a half to to kind of bed in and and get the position. Um, but City have been very. Uh, City have City have needed players to control games that they just haven't had, and I think the loss of Gundogan was huge. I, I I can't underline just how how important he was at the back end of last season, and of course the headline grabbing moments of the goals, like you know he, he scored a brace at Everton that that gets the headlines, the the FA Cup final goal. Um, but it was it wasn't just the fact that he was scoring; it was the fact that he 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 knew when to play a pass. And there's a there's a phrase that's kind of seeped into the city um, city fan base of uh, it, it's it, the phrase we use is pouser, and it's it's this knowledge of when to play the ball, not kind of go immediately with it. So it's 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 as much as knowing when to reject a pass forward than as uh, as when to play it. And it just keeps City on the front foot and keeps City in control. And there are some players that that Guardiola has has kind of shown know it and can do it. And you know, David Silva was a big proponent of it. And you know, you, uh, Gundogan last season, Mares always had it. And there are some players who are a, a kind of a lot more of the of the kind of go getters and the sort of players that get the ball, carry it, and move it forward. And you look at the players that City have had available, the likes of Foden, the likes of Doku, the likes of Alvarez. They're the sorts of players who get it and go. And it was when they were missing Grealish. I mean, Grealish is huge for this. He's, he, he, gets a, he gets a lot of stick for his numbers not being great. And it's a very, very boring answer to say he's very good at controlling a game. But that's exactly what he can do. And he knows like he knows just as well as anyone when to reject a, a ball forward and keep possession and when to drive it and, and, and take it to the byline himself. So when you take that out of City from last season, what you get this season is a lot different. And that's not to say it's any worse or better. It's to say it's that it's not what I'm used to so far. So I, I really don't know. Um, I think I, I wonder if the potential for this kind of setup that City have got at the moment is is if the ceiling is higher than where they were last season. But at the moment, it feels like they have taken a step back, and it it, it may be a step back, maybe one step back to go too forward. I don't know, um, and I'm certainly not ruling out that that City will be in the conversation for the the, the major honours at the end of the season again. Um, I just think they are a little bit more fallible this season than they were last season. And I mean, this is this is another ridiculous thing in that, you know, last season they ended up winning the treble and February, start of February um, time, I, I was thinking that they're not going to win anything this season. They're just not playing well enough at all. Um, they couldn't string 
results together. And then out of nowhere, they went on a, a, a bit of a run and uh, they, they caught up with Arsenal. And there were there were moments last season where you just thought, right, OK, you've had a good result, go and build on it. And then they drew at Nottingham Forest or they, mm-hmm. they lost the Manchester Derby in ridiculous circumstances. And you're like, well, OK, it's one of them seasons. And then by the end of it, you're like, well, this could be this could be the best City team we've ever seen. And <laughs> you kind of, kind of like, I don't, I don't really understand how we've got to this position, but we have. All right, fine. They, they, they found something. I mean, the solution was, again, it's that it's that 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 thing of um sorry i'm waffling now but it's it's uh we we get into this thing of you look at, at what i think is the best city team or the best iteration of guardiola city team and it didn't have a center forward in it it was the false nine era um from a few years ago and they signed harland and everyone went well of course they'll sit they'll sit the best striker that's ever existed in the top of this and everything will work fine but it doesn't quite work fine because suddenly you're taking a body out of the middle and playing them kind of uh, a lot further forward and you can't outnumber the opposition in the same way as you used to when you when you had um a, a false nine dropping in and Guardiola's solution to that at the end of last season was basically we'll get John Stones or Mamo Lakanji to step out of defense and become that extra player in the middle and it, it kind of took five months six months of the season for him to work out how to do that and, and how to fit it all in and as soon as he did it, it, it was great and then this this season you know, Stones hasn't been available for for the vast majority of it. He's, I, I'm, I'm not sure if he's fit again now. If he's not, he's certainly close to it. Um, and Akanji's been in and out of the team and and kind of not really doing the same sort of thing. And the former Kyle Walker's been 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 down as well. And so the way that they're trying to build up and the way that they're trying to overload the the center of the pitch has just been a bit different. And they've not. It feels like they've not quite clicked yet with with what they want to do. Um, and I and I wonder if the last kind of four or five games or so has been City starting to get that and starting to click a little bit more. Um, and as bad as Kyle Walker has been this season, and I think he hasn't had a great season so far. I thought he was brilliant against Spurs, and that could be mm-hmm. that that could be like the first signs that things are starting to come together again. I mean, it is. It, you mentioned it is kind of around this time of the season that it happened last year, where it was a bit shaky at the start, and then you went on this run around Christmas time. It kind of looks like it might follow the same trend. Ever since you got back from the Club World Cup, like you said, I think you've won every game. Mm. Um, and obviously that that performance against Spurs was a real statement. The one against Newcastle I thought was really impressive. Just somehow managing to overcome the atmosphere at St. James is after those two identical goals for, for for Newcastle. And you're right, I think Carl Walker's at fault for both of them. It's it's but, interesting, um, actually. Newcastle follows that same pattern of Everton, of where City went there. They started the game really well. They took the lead, and um, which they didn't do at Goodison. But what they did do after that was then lose control of it for, for 20 minutes. And in that 20 minutes, Newcastle scored twice and, and got in mm-hmm. front. And as soon as... like you, you look back to that second half at St. James's, it was one-way traffic. And that was, that was all because of City doing that thing of, you ain't getting out. We're just going to keep the ball and, and move it in our patterns and you're going to feel like you can't like you're trapped in your own defensive third and that was ultimately how city won the game now they left it a bit late for my liking but you know it's 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 one of them where um like it, they they want to try and make sure that they're, they're not just they're not just good players getting into good positions they want to kind of beat the will out of the opposition by keeping the ball and keeping it moving Mm-hmm. Just to, before we get onto the game specifically, David, I don't think I can do this podcast without bringing up last year and uh, Brentford, <laughs> Brentford doing a double over City. I'm, I'm sure the listeners will definitely want some reaction from the the City end because I'm, it's any excuse to bring it up. I'm really sorry. About <laughs> obviously, obviously well, it proved pretty inconsequential in terms of City's treble, but I have to say 
I mentioned it on your podcast that we've just done before this. It was one of my best days, if not the best day, supporting Brentford. So just talk me through those. That, probably just the away game. The away game will die. I know the home game was fun too, but you'd won the, you'd won the league by that point. So it wasn't that. It didn't matter that much. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. There was a player that was given a debut at um, at your place uh, on the last day of the season. And he's one of them players that will go in one of the Sporkle quizzes of uh, name every player that's played under Guardiola. Like, I have no memory of who this guy is. Um, so I can't, I, can't, I can't remember who came on. Um, I, I wonder actually, was, it might have even been Oscar Bob. I don't know, you know. Um, he might have he might have come on in that game and that could have been his Premier League debut. I don't know. I'd have to go back and check. Player, um, by the way. Jesus. Uh, we'll get the, on to him. We'll get on to him, yeah. The, the Etihad <laughs> game. Um, so... Uh, that was that was the day before my birthday, um, and I knew like I knew from the season before that the, that the two games last season against Brentford were not going to be easy. And um, I'm kind of I'm always wary of going into into games and, and underestimating the opposition. At the same time, you kind of have to accept, you know, City have spent a lot of money. They've got a lot of great players, and most times they're going to win the game. And so mm-hmm. it feels it, like it does genuinely feel really disrespectful when I go on opposition podcasts and say, well, you know what, there might be an upset here and there because like, at the same time, like City should win the game and they should be good enough to win the game. And then you could tell from the first kind of 10, 15 minutes that City weren't quite at it in that in that Brentford game last season. Um, and I don't know how early it was that you scored, but I remember you scored um, kind of must have been midway through the first half because Foden mm-hmm. equalised right, either equalised just after half time or right on the stroke of half time. Just before, just, just before. before. And um, I remember thinking, right, okay, that's that's a get out of jail because we haven't deserved anything so far. So now you've got that, you've got to go and build on it. And mm-hmm. you kept doing this thing where you kept you kept playing it really, really long and high, and it, like really direct to Tony and. Like it sounds like a real. It sounds like um, fan of big team being really arsy about about style of play. But like, there's a difference between pumping it long and winning flick-ons, and what you were doing last season because it was it was a clear plan. Hit Tony's head. He will flick it on to whoever is running in behind, and your runners were really really good. And the problem that City were having, and City City don't like transitions. That's the one part of the game that, that City have historically under Guardiola really struggled with um, because they're not set up to deal with them. So, like, you think that there's a wonderful uh, moment in uh, the Champions League final from last season where um, Akanji lets the ball run and uh, Edison isn't coming out to sweep it and, it's, and, it, and it just presents a chance to Inter. And Guardiola drops to his knees and he drops to his knees because he's like, like this, we are not set up to deal with this. If you make, if a player gives the ball away in the attacking third, fine, we are set up. In, the players are in positions to be able to get back into, into where they need to be. It's like every time Rodri gives it away, it's like there's, City are just not set up to deal with what to do at that point and anything could happen. Except... With Brentford at the Etihad last season, anything happened every time you got the ball because you were really good at picking Tony out. It was really good at flicking it to the runners, and then suddenly you're in behind. And I remember, like there was there was one moment actually, like just before you scored the winner, uh, I remember watching Harland tracking back, like absolutely steaming back, and I was thinking that's that's good, that's good defensive work. We'll probably be all right if he's working that hard. And then he went and scored. And I was just like, <laughs> all right, fine, okay, it's one of one of them games, is it? And I tell you, like it was it was my birthday the next day. We had uh, we were having a birthday party at our house um, in kind of the afternoon stroke evening, and. I was I, I'm teetotal, so I I was driving back from the game with a load of my mates who had, who had been there, um, and we just kind of trudged back to my car, got into the car, stopped off at the shop on the way home to get some beers, and then got back home. 
where it just like like it was like a funeral in here for, for, for like like an hour until kind of all of our other friends who aren't city fans turned up and was just like like picked the mood up a bit um so yeah thanks thanks for that it was a it was a hell of a weekend in the end but um yeah it was um, you know like when you lose the last game before an international break and you've got to wait to go and put it right i mean try doing that with four weeks of a world cup and then having and then having liverpool on the first game back in the league cup and you're like well this could go anyway we don't know, like we don't know what they're like we don't know what we're like we just had a world cup all the players have been away and we just lost the last one i'd like to go and put that right yeah it's uh it was I can. It all turned out okay. So like, I, I, I yeah, yeah, the question. I, it, it was fairly <laughs> inconsequential. It was just a little. It, it, honestly, I, I know that I, I will never tire of, of watching <laughs> that Ivan Tony goal go in. Listen, yeah, and I've been there. So like, like I'm I'm 36. I, City haven't been good all of my life. There was a there was a spell where uh, we were really not good. And some of my favourite games have been games that were inconsequential for the opposition, but City won. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, away at wherever. Um, and it's it, 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 it's it's great fun. I mean, like people laugh when I say that my all time favourite City game um, didn't happen in the uh, Mansour, in the Sheikh Mansour era. It happened in in the year two thousand. Uh, we won four one on the last day of the season at Blackburn to get promotion back to the Premier League, uh, and we got battered for an hour and then turned it round and, and won four one. And still, every time it's on Sky now, I still watch it, and you know, I still get a little bit emotional when Mark Kennedy's goal goes in because that's the that was the third goal, and that was the, that was the moment that like twelve year old me knew that we were going up, and just like those are the moments that you live for as a football fan. And um, listen, don't get me wrong, like the Champions League final was fantastic, the Aguero moment was fantastic, Gundogan scoring twice against Villa was fantastic. Um, but I still cry when Mark Kennedy scores, and that that kind of that, that just it just doesn't feel right as a as a kind of a, a Division One final day of the season game from the from the year two thousand. No, I'm all for it, mate. I'm all for it. Let's uh, let's move on to. I got one more broad question before we, before I want to talk about some of the players. Obviously, we have to talk about De Bruyne. I did want to talk about Oscar Bob as well? Maybe Jack Greedish, because I heard you mention him at the start, and I feel like there's a few question marks around Greedish. I still think he's a great player, but just before that. Obviously, the the news about Jurgen Klopp last week. Those two, in in terms of Klopp and Guardiola, have pushed each other to new heights, and it's kind of been the, the only team that could keep pace with City has been Liverpool. And even then, it's like when they got a hundred points or whatever it was, and, and they still didn't win the league. Um, who's going to be the next one to to challenge Pep? Who do you see? I mean, is it is it, it's is it going to be Arteta? Yeah, I don't Koch? I don't know. Um... I, I I don't know. I like I, I like Pochettino, and yet Chelsea are still a basket case. I don't know. What, like I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the problem is there because like he's he's a good manager, and he like he, like so a little bit of uh, there's no reason for you to know this, but but City fans are taught to hate Spurs growing up. Um, that's just the way it is. When I was when I was a kid. You know, Spurs would always beat City, and I mean they still do. But uh, like it's, um, they always would. It would always be two one. Somehow, even though he didn't always play for them, Jermaine Defoe would score. Um, and yeah, it, there was never any hope of getting anything. And I think it all kind of goes back to the eighty one Cup final. So I wasn't, I wasn't around for the eighty one Cup final. Um, but like the generation above me kind of still holds that game and the replay of that game quite uh, as quite a bitter um, taste of, of of the City-Spurs rivalry. And it's entirely one way. So Spurs don't feel it the other way back, but City feel it towards Spurs. Um, and Pochettino made me like Spurs for a bit. And that... that Sort of like the the ability for him to do that in the same way that that Poster Coglu's kind of doing now. Mm. Um, 
if you can make me like Spurs, then you're doing a good job there. So how how Chelsea are still all over the place, I don't know. Um, and like beyond that, I, I don't really know. I think it does depend who Liverpool give the job to because there's there's an element of being able to compete with Guardiola, but ultimately you have to have the resources to be able to compete with the club city as well. So um, there are managers who get the better of Guardiola and and like they have a tactical plan that works on the day. I mean, I saw Thomas Gary, Frank. yeah, Thomas Frank uh, <laughs> last season uh, twice, um, but I saw Gary O'Neill on on Monday Night Football a few weeks ago uh, talking about how he he set his Wolves team up to to beat City, and it ultimately boiled down to cutting out the space and and not letting them kind of get into the small spaces that they want to get into. And I'm like, yeah, but like. You're not the first person to try that, mate. Like, like other people do that as well, and uh, like other people try it and it doesn't work. Um, just because you've tried it once and it's worked doesn't mean that you're like you've developed this formula to do it. Um, <laughs> like, sometimes you don't have to be good if you're lucky. And I'm not suggesting that Wolves were lucky, but you, they caught City on a day when they when City couldn't get the game plan going. Um, and Klopp has the ability to. Klopp had the ability to change things up and and really make it difficult for City in a way that other managers haven't kind of really, really found the way to do it. And I wonder if part of that is because the players that Klopp had at his disposal were, uh, are of a level where they can just manipulate a game in a much better way than, than other teams. Um, but then you look at someone like Deserby at Brighton, who, mm. uh, like, he he's caused City problems. I can't think off the top of my head if Deserby's... Brighton have beaten City in recent years, but I don't know if I don't know if it's Deserby's Brighton that's done it. Um but there are times that Guardiola loves him and he loves him because he presents problems that don't normally get presented in, in games. And it, like, it wouldn't surprise me if if uh, you ask Guardiola thoughts on Thomas Frank behind the scenes and he's actually quite complimentary about him because, uh, again, the way you played at the Etihad last season is the sort of thing that other teams don't really do against City. There was a, there was a clear game plan there and there was a clear kind of step one, step two, step three of how we are going to try and win this game. And it worked. And that's not, again, not to say that like other teams haven't tried similar. But in this case, you looked at your players' strengths, you looked at what you could do, and you were like, well, we can do this, and they're susceptible to this. So we're going to do this, and this is how we're going to play. And it might not matter. City could have scored four in the first half, and it, it, like, it doesn't matter. But on the day, it worked, and it worked really well, and City didn't score four in the first half. So... I mean, it, it. I think it depends on who on who gets appointed where. Um, Arteta at Arsenal has been. He's created challenges for for Guardiola, but I, I'm not entirely convinced. I, I watched the Community Shield and um, they got. They didn't have much of the play in that, and then scored a deflected last minute equaliser and won on penalties. And I remember hearing the interviews after the game of, "Is this the mental block of of beating City now out of the way?" And mm-hmm. everyone's talking about, "Yes, it was." And I'm kind of like, I'm not entirely sure. That's 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 the way. like if you, if your formula is rely on a deflected goal. I mean, to be fair, they got a deflected goal in the last minute of the Emirates as well. So maybe <laughs> yeah, no, maybe that is the formula. Um, <laughs> But I, I kind of want to see a little bit more than that. Um, and and yeah, like you say, Poch at Chelsea. I mean, he caused City no ends of problems in that four-all draw, but City scored four at Stamford Bridge. And like mm-hmm. you're, still, you're still kind of looking to control a game a little bit better than, than that. And, I, and I, that four-all was just as much City being a basket case on that day as Chelsea being a basket case. So... Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see who does follow in in, in that kind of rivalry's footsteps. I, I think there'll be someone because I, I think Liverpool will make a, a, a. They've said they'll make a data-led appointment, haven't they? And I think that is. Yeah. Um, I, I think that kind of. 
I'll be honest, I don't know what that means, but like, I, I think it, it probably leads into somebody who is who is decent with the players that they've got uh, available to them, and um, I, and like maybe it's a different style. I don't know, but I I think I, I think somebody will challenge Guardiola. I don't know who it'll be, but uh, but I think somebody will. And I, and Guardiola also suffers from um, the kind of Guardiola paradox of. Uh, the more he wins, the easier it looks, and therefore people think it's easy. And uh, like, I, I'm not going to lie and say that City don't have uh, massive advantages over other teams because you know there's not many out there who can make the signings that City have made over the last ten years. Um, but at the same time, the reason of City's level being so high over the last seven or eight is Guardiola. It's not. It's not the resources. Um, Mancini and Pellegrini both had access to the same resources and didn't produce football anywhere near on this level. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I think when Guardiola goes, I think you'll see a reversion to the to the mean, and I don't think City will be. Um, I mean, obviously, pending the outcome of whatever Premier League trial is of whatever the Premier League trial is, um, assuming they are still in the top flight when Guardiola leaves, then um, I, I don't think you'll see the same sort of football from City either. So it'll be interesting to it will be interesting to see what comes next. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it will be. I think uh, you mentioned Arsenal kind of getting over that mental barrier of beating City. But was it was it last season where you beat them in the cup and then you beat them at the Emirates a week later, or they were quite close together? I remember. Yeah, they just scored the winner. Yeah, so um, they they came to our place in the oh, FA Cup, League Cup, one of them, um, mm. kind of early, around Christmas time, and. They were good, actually. They were they were really quite good, and they they caused City problems. And City just went right, okay. Well, instead of trying our usual build up, we'll go long. And they went long mm. to Harland, and it started working. And I, I think yeah. City won three two in the end. Um, and then, oh no, that was the Liverpool game. They won one nil. Nathan Ake. Um, and then uh, they should we should have played Arsenal. I think the week that the Queen died. Um, and so it got rearranged towards the, the, the back end of the season. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up playing Arsenal at the Emirates about four weeks before we played them or, or six weeks before we played them at the Etihad. Um, and when we played them at the Emirates, we uh, we were in a position, we'd just drawn at Nottingham Forest and it was, a, it was uh, oh no, we were, we were just about to go on and draw at Nottingham Forest. So it was very much a case of, you've got to win this game, otherwise you're not going to win the title. This is, this is Arsenal's to lose at this stage. And City went there, they weren't really the better team and they got over the line and did it. And then by the time they got they got Arsenal to the Emirates, Arsenal were to the Etihad. Arsenal were in a position that where they had to win, or mm-hmm. like City were were kind of just going to cruise to the title in the end. Um, and City just they they just stepped it up another level and 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 didn't let Arsenal anywhere near it. And I did wonder if that would be a real psychological blow for Arsenal. And I kind of. I haven't been that impressed by them this season in the same way as I no. was impressed by them last season. And I, I don't know kind of how you fix that. And I, 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 I can, I can fully expect them. I fully expect them to finish third at this stage of the season and it'll be one of City or Liverpool to win the title. And whether or not I'm confident of catching Liverpool, you know, that's a, that's a different conversation. I do. I, I'm fairly confident City will finish above Arsenal come what may. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's a fair assumption. I, I thought the signing of Declan Rice might pull them up, um, but mm. he's kind of dropped his form a little bit. And they, I don't know, there's just something about the way they're playing this season. I'm not convinced Martinelli's having a bad season. Saka's dipped out of form. But anyway, this isn't an Arsenal podcast. Let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's move on to the game next Monday. I do want to talk about Kevin De Bruyne. Um, didn't start against Newcastle, but obviously we know the story. Comes on, scores one, assists the other. Didn't start against Spurs. City won anyway. So two questions. First of all. 
do you think he's going to start against Brentford? And second of all, this is a fairly loaded question, but I've seen people debating it recently. Is he the best Premier League midfielder of all time? <laughs> um, see, there's there's no right answer to that second question. Um, and so, therefore, I am going to say yes. Um, because, uh, let, I'll let people in the comments just debate whether or not I, I, I'm right or not. Um, but... Um, I, I think whether whether or not he'll start, um, I, I just don't know. They're being really, really, really ultra cautious with him, um, and with good reason. So, um, I was I was a little taken aback that he started the opening day of the season against Burnley, having gone off and uh, been so incredibly injured against Inter on the last day, uh, because I, I didn't realise just how injured he was in the build up to that game. He'd, he'd been playing through a hamstring problem anyway. Um, and then it fully went in in that inter game to the point of uh, after the the Burnley game he needed surgery and mm-hmm. like a, a muscle muscle injuries very rarely need surgery so as soon as as, as that was was announced you kind of like okay that's that's bad um, they have missed him this season and they they really they look a lot better now that he's he's back in the team but at the same time. Um, like you mentioned, we, we're recording this before the Burnley game. Uh, there's there's talk that he might start the Burnley game, and I'm just kind of like, can we let's let's just put this on ice for the time being? He's you know he's 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 only been back a short amount of time. It really wouldn't surprise me if uh, again he's back on the bench and coming on for a short amount of time. Now, don't get me wrong, he's going to have to start at some point. You can't you, you can't wrap him in cotton wool and and you know say till the end of the season you, you're only going to be an impact sub. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to do any long-term damage to the point of, you know, he's he's in his early thirties now. This is the, the this is the the kind of red zone for if you get a bad injury, then you might not be the same player when you come back. And I mean, one of my colleagues on one of the one of the podcasts, Sam Lee, asked Guardiola recently about De Bruyne's return and whether whether his whether his game would change because of it. Um, and Guardiola didn't. He, he basically said, "I don't think it will, and I don't think he needs to. I think we just need to manage him really carefully." Um, so whether or not he'll start, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think the games that are not expected to be high intensity potential basketball games are the ones where he'll he'll start. And I wonder if Burnley mm. might be that because Burnley, you know, as as much as I admire the, the the way that they're trying to play, they do seem like the perfect opposition for City, and they do seem the sort of team that where where Guardiola will will talk about how wonderful player X and Y is, and then go and spank them eight nil because of the spaces that they that they that they leave in all the right places for City to exploit. Um, and I wonder if that'll be a gent- more gentle ease in for for De Bruyne than than starting away at Brentford would be, um, because I can imagine Brentford would be quite a quite a tough place to to go and to to kind of break, a tough team to break down i don't think burnley are going to sit in and try and cut out the spaces so maybe that gives the game a little bit of uh, a little bit more openness for for de bruyne um so so maybe not start maybe see half an hour of him if he's uh, if, if city is still if city are struggling in the game and there's and the 60 minute mark is up I, I wouldn't be surprised if i did see him start for for two reasons because you mentioned that it might be it, it might be easier for him to start against burnley because they'll sit in and he'll have a lot of space in the game um, I feel like the reason that we were so successful against you at the Etihad last season was one, Rika Henry being that output. I mentioned it on your podcast, mm. but such an important player for us in terms of getting us up the pitch and his ball progression. But two, Frank Onyeka, who's away at AFCON, he was really important here and he's not been that great this season and I'm sure Brentford fans would agree, but he is a pressing machine and I feel like when we played with the Etihad, a lot of turnovers in the middle of the park came from him. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if De Bruyne did start um, Someone that we know is back in the squad from today's news for Burnley 
Erling Haaland. I, I want to talk, you mentioned earlier, I can't remember which question I asked, but you mentioned earlier about when the doubts were coming in, if Haaland made City a better team or if he went to the wrong club. Um, talk to me about City with and without Haaland, just, just in general. Well, it's interesting because I I can't decide, and I and I am fully prepared that any City fan who's watching this could could shout me down now. Um, but uh, like, it's it's an interesting dichotomy because having a player in the squad, let's like City thrive on control and controlling games. So when when they don't have control of games, it's a lot harder for them to to kind of impose themselves on the match and to and, and to get the three points. And the best way to control a game is to stick extra players in the centre and create overloads in a position where the opposition just can't get out. And that's why I think the false nine city was a was was one of the it was if not the best then uh, close to the best iteration of, of City under Guardiola um, because they they pinned teams back and they played that they played it around and around and around. They worked the opposition all over the pitch, created an opening, scored the goal. And when when you take a player out of that in order to put in a great centre-forward up top, you lose that element of control and it, it gives the opposition a little bit more impetus in games. But at the same time, the player that you're putting in there is possibly, I mean, it's very early days to, to talk in this manner, but it's possibly the greatest striker that the Premier League's ever seen because mm-hmm. his his ability to finish is like nobody else I've ever seen. And What's really interesting about his inclusion at City is that when when Guardiola arrived, he obviously had Sergio Aguero as as one of the players um, up top. And Aguero, for all of his goal-scoring exploits in under Mancini and Pellegrini, he didn't do a lot for the team. He didn't do a lot of, of off-the-ball running. He didn't do a lot, a lot of pressing. He, he was he was there to score goals, and he scored mm-hmm. a lot of them. And that was that that, that worked for those for those setups. But in the same way that Joe Hart didn't play the ball out from the back and and played it long a lot of times, like you can't really do that in the setup that Guardiola wants to to put in. And so we set this challenge to Aguero. You need to get more involved in in the team, and you need to you need to drop in more and, and be more of a presser and more of a Guardiola type player. And Aguero nearly left. He nearly left City in that 16-17 season. And at the end of it, Jesus came in, did a lot of a lot of the work that that Guardiola wanted, and Aguero rose to the challenge. And the next season, they won 100 points, and Aguero was was the man who was. Kind of, the, he made himself the go-to centre forward, and it's interesting to see that Guardiola isn't doing that with Haaland. He's got Haaland, who is this absolute machine at scoring goals, and he isn't making him try and get involved in the build-up play because I think he looks at his skill set and goes, "He's he's just not very good at it." And like, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where giving the ball to feet, you know, fifty yards out of the of um, of the opposition goal, and. Like he's not great at linking up and kind of moving the ball around, and I think that's that's ultimately why Guardiola was was quite keen on getting Harry Kane in the first instance because he can do that and he can come and come deep and get involved. He's almost the perfect Guardiola striker uh, yeah. that that City never had. And then at the same time, like as for all of those faults that Haaland has, he broke the record last season for the for the number of Premier League goals scored by an individual, and it's and had the most kind of in an English football season ever apart from Dixie Dean. And you're kind of like, well, if that's the level that you can score at, you've just got to find a way to get this guy into the team. And what they did at the end of last season with uh, the overload in the centre coming from one of the centre-halves stepping into the middle was was a perfect solution to that. And it was a, a perfect way to, to have this great striker up front 
and at the same time kind of keep the control that, that, that the false nine era gets you. And so I can't really work out on the weighing scales where kind of losing the control of the extra player but add in the greatest striker that may have ever lived. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really know. How, like, I, I wonder if it just cancels each other out, and like that's that's kind of like like City are just good because of of a different reason this time. Um, so it it is interesting to see uh, all of that and and kind of how it works. And I I, I understand if not I don't agree with it, but I I understand where the argument comes from of um, maybe Harland has joined the wrong club in in City um, because. Ultimately, with Guardiola, I think Guardiola's biggest asset is that he's a problem solver, and you know he he solves problems that you don't really realize that you have until until he solved them, and then you're like actually that works a lot better than it than it did previously, mm-hmm. and and there we go. And so, like for the majority of last season, Haaland didn't really fit in at City, but for the most part, of it, he kept scoring goals. And then at the end of the season, ironically, he stopped scoring goals, uh, but he fit in a lot better. And um, I, I I can. I, I kind of I have confidence that Guardiola solves that problem, and how he does it, I don't really know. Um, at the moment, it seems to be uh, Kyle Walker pushed wide and high, and then um, Julian Alvarez is dropping in to be the be the extra player. But now that Haaland's back, I don't know if they revert to the one of the one of the centre half stepping into the into the midfield again and and kind of doing that that instead. And of course, it that all depends on the game state as well. Sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you don't need a, a defender taking on that role because the opposition are just not pressing high enough for for, for that overload to matter in that area of the pitch. Um, so it's interesting to see how it goes. Um, I think Haaland has um I think he himself will admit that he's got some learning to do in in City and how to be a City centre forward uh, but I think it's interesting that Guardiola's met him in the middle where with someone like Aguero it was my way or you're out of the club mate and um, mm-hmm. he, he just won't do that with Haaland yeah it's going to be interesting to see the rest of Haaland's season because I I know that City players do take a while to bed in but he's just he's good like you said he broke record <laughs> in his best season so like, if he comes back and somehow manages to top that i wouldn't even be surprised he's an absolute monster but in terms of a final couple of questions for me david in terms of the players that can hurt us if harlan does come back in who are we who are we thinking is going to feature would it be oscar bob phil foden alvarez doku Grealish? the list could go on and on and on but which are the players that you expect to start and which are the players that can really cause us some problems on monday I have absolutely no idea who he's going to pick, um, which uh, doesn't help anybody's fantasy league. Uh, my my advice for for fantasy league players is pick Harland and nobody else from City because you just don't know who he's going to pick. Um, if De Bruyne's fit, stick him in as well because he'll he'll he, he usually starts when he's fit. Um, but beyond that, like it, it's very much a mix and match, and it's mix and match by design. So it, it kind of depends what you want from a game. And ironically, I think Guardiola's picked opposite of what I want from the from most games this season. So games where you want to control it and keep the opposition penned in, I'd pick Grealish over Doku, and then he's picked Doku over Grealish, and it's it's been one of them where um, you're like, oh, oh, okay, he's he's looking for the control elsewhere. Fine. Um, so. In terms of, of who will actually start at Brentford, um, I think Bernardo. I, I think Bernardo is someone who has had a great season so far, and I think he has to start. He really helps City with with controlling games and that power of quality that I mentioned earlier. He knows it, and he he knows when to play and when not to play. Um, and I think having him in the side, uh, if Haaland is back and uh, and 
kind of comes through Burnley and he's able to come through to to play again against uh, against Brentford, he will absolutely start and he'll be in the he'll be up top. I wonder if that means that Alvarez will come out because he's he's looked a little tired lately and he's he, yeah. you know he's, he's had a great season so far. Um, but it, but he's not missed a Premier League game so far, and I think I think it's starting to show a little bit where. Um, for sheer volume of football. I mean, last season, he, he played a full South American season, um, played the Copa Libertadores and then came straight over to City and, and finished the season here and then went and played the World Cup and then kind of just carried on finishing the season. And so like, he's, he's played a relentless amount of football. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he if he were to come out anytime soon. Um, and like, it's funny that we talk about Oscar Bob as a potential first team player because he's a youngster and he is somebody who was who has only recently broken into the first team. And yet we talk about him in the same way as we talk about Rico Lewis, who mm-hmm. Lewis is someone who's, who I've not mentioned um, so far yet. But he he's a viable option, and it might mean that in the back end of the season when you're in the running, he doesn't get picked at all, left, right, or centre. Um, and that's just experience. That's the, the only thing that's keeping him out of the team. There is experience. It's not anything to do with his technical ability or or, or anything else, um, or even what he'll do in individual moments. It's just the experience of all the of all the key players being available and, and in those positions. Um, at the same time, you, you look at the fact that you know Bob started against Spurs in the in the cup. The fact that that Guardiola turned to him from the bench at, at Newcastle yeah. to go on and say, actually, go and win this game for us. Um, I think that speaks volumes of where he is at City. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him start against Burnley. I wouldn't be surprised to see him start against Brentford. He is he is in the conversation for for a starting berth at the moment. Um, and all that does is is say to Grealish and Doku and Foden, you know, book your ideas up because you know if you're not if you're not at it, then somebody else will take your position. And that's kind of what City need because the uh, the players who really do damage and the players that that. Um, uh, kind of really caused opposition problems are, are the sorts of players who can come in for a game, come out for a game, come in for a game, come out for a game. And you look at, at the back end of last season, take someone like Riyad Mahrez, for instance, who barely played at the back end of last season. And when he did play, he played really well. And then the problem was, is that Guardiola then had to stick his arm around him and go, listen, Riyad, like, you've done nothing wrong. I just need this for this game and I need to do something else for this game. And that means you're going to be on the bench again, mate. And I'm very sorry about it, but it's just kind of how it's going to be. Um, and that's the sort of thing that drives City players forward and that competition really does keep the levels high. So, like, Guardiola could pick anybody and I, 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 don't, I, I don't think there'll be too many grumbles from a City end about who he's picked based on, on recent form. Um, I'd like to see Foden in there. I love him. He's a Stockport lad. I live in Stockport. It's, it's, it's great to see that you know somebody who uh, is living my dream uh, playing for the football club that I support and the football club that he support supported growing up. Um, so I, I always love to see Foden in the team. Um, beyond that, I don't really mind who he picks because I think I, I think they all have their qualities, and it'd be interesting to see how he approaches it. it I, I think you get a reading of what Guardiola thinks of of how your team will play based on who he picks. If he thinks there'll be open spaces, he'll pick Doku. If he thinks it'll be tight and, and need kind of the 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 lock on picking um I, maybe he picks Grealish I don't know lots of lots of options for you guys Phil Foden by the way what a what a player unbelievably silky footballer I absolutely adore watching him play football I've just got a couple more questions these are kind of questions that I just ask all the opposition guests that I have on the podcast um what have you made of Brentford so far this season and what are you expecting from the game on Monday 
Well, I expect it's going to be a horrible game. Um, the two games last season, you you made them both horrible, and um, like City don't like those games, and you were really, really good at giving a game that City don't like. So um, I think I, I think it'll be another one of them. I mean, even the two games before, like I, I can't remember the result of the Etihad uh, the season before. I think it was one nil again. Two nil, um, I think. It was very tight anyway. Yeah, it's very tight and you had chances. Um, and the game at uh, where Foden scored at, uh, at your place, that was it was not an easy watch. And it was it was one of them where City just couldn't break you down. Um, so I'm expecting the same sort of thing. And I know you've been out of form uh, lately and I know you've you've kind of looked at uh, the teams below you rather than the teams above you for a while now. Um, I, I don't think you'll be in trouble this season. I think uh, I, I do think Thomas Frank is a good manager, and I think he's got. I, I, I think I think he's at a club that will give him time, and I think that I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sensing there's any feeling towards him that, that he needs to be he needs to be changed. Um, and I would back him to 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 be able to turn it around again. Um, I think you've 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 clearly been hit by the suspension of Tony, and I think that's been um, a huge loss for you over the last over the last few weeks. Because I mean, chucking over the uh, over this run of form where you've where you've not been able to pick up any points, chucking a player who can score a goal out of nothing, and suddenly you might mm-hmm. draw a game instead of lose it. You might win a game instead of draw it, and all of a sudden that run of I don't know what it's been, but let's call it kind of seven losses and a draw suddenly might become, you know, five losses, three draws. And you know you've picked up you've picked up a little. It doesn't feel as bad as it as it has been previously. And, and there, any anybody who's keeping track of my mental maths is uh, uh, will will know that I'm not very good at it anymore. Um, but I, I think in terms of a season, I, I I would understand if you were to tell me that the feeling amongst Brentford fans at the moment is disappointment. I'd understand it because it's it's not gone as I expect you were expecting it would go at the start of the season. But at the same time, I don't think it's beyond rescue. And I don't I think um, there's there's I, I don't think you should be too worried about relegation because I don't think it's going to happen. I, I look at the at the three promoted teams and I don't think they're um, I don't think they're anywhere near as 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 up to the standard that you need to be to be in the Premier League. Um, I think um, I think Everton are in trouble again, dependent pending the outcome of, of further financial punishments. Um, even Forest could be in trouble as well. I, it's like I, I think there are teams that that Brentford will finish above, not even by default, just by being a better team. So mm-hmm. um, I think I think you'll be all right, um, and we know that Brentford historically caused City problems. So if you don't get anything from Spurs on on Wednesday night, then uh, that's where your season starts, doesn't it? I guess that's at your place. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Listen, um, I think uh, I heard someone say recently that if there was ever a year to have a shit season, it was this year because of the three teams <laughs> that came up and because yeah. of Everton and Forest perspective points deductions. Um, David, before I was producing this podcast, I was kind of struggling for questions just because I think everyone knows so much about City, but I've actually learned quite a lot. And um, I really thank you. That was, that was really fun. The Eden Road podcast will be back next week to go over the Man City result and also briefly look ahead to Wolves away next weekend. Before we go, I do want to hear from people in the comments. Last week's response was really nice to see lots of interaction and engagement. So please do drop your comments ahead of the City game on Monday night. And whilst you remember to like and subscribe to the YouTube and Spotify channels. Please leave a rating as well and also follow us on our socials as at the Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. David, that was an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank um, you very yeah, much. Good, it's been fun. Good luck for next Monday. You don't mean that, but uh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Social Podcast Network.